This is React Podcast. I'm Chantastic. Today, we have an amazing interview for you sitting down with Cassidy Williams. If you're not familiar with Cassidy, you need to go on her Twitter right now and you need to follow her. She will be a delight to your timeline. In our conversation, we talk about her very enviable career, the importance of networking and getting yourself out there, and why you should be chasing your dreams, sometimes literally. If you're interested in jumpstarting your career in web development or leveling up in a big way, or you just have an affinity for mechanical keyboards and the game Scrabble, you will love this episode. While you're listening, if anything catches your ear, you can find show notes at reactpodcast.com slash 40. This week's episode is sponsored by Linode. Instantly deploy and manage an SSD server in the Linode cloud. Get a server running in seconds with your choice of Linux distro, resources, and node location. Now offering dedicated CPU instances designed for consistent high-performance computing needs like video encoding, game servers, and busy application servers. Now, let me tell you about something that I like to use Linode for. I've had an obsession with doing the most amount of work on the smallest, coolest device I can find, and the iPad Pro is totally it. Unfortunately, you can't do web development on it out of the box, and this is where Linode comes in. I've set up a Linode server so that I can use my iPad Pro, and it is perfect for my open source work where I can merge a branch, rerun tests, tag and cut a new release, and send it all to NPM. If you want to give this setup a try, I will link a tutorial in the show notes. And uh, Linode has something for you too. If you visit linode.com react and use the code react2019, you will get a $20 credit. So if you want to travel light and do more work in the cloud, visit linode.com react today. Cassidy, I am super excited to have you on the show. Thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, thank you for having me. So you are a, a person online that I just, I love your energy. Um, I know this is the first time that we've we've had a chance to talk, but you are like an inspiration to me because you just, you have like this really like happy energy. You're always doing these things that are, that are interesting and um, kind of like maintaining some level of sanity. <laughs> it, it appears <laughs> from the outside at least. <laughs> and um, yeah, you've just, you've just done a lot. You um, have like a lot of things that like I aspire to do, like you've, you've done Ted talks uh, or done a TEDx talk. Uh, you, or listed glamours 35 under 35. I'm out of that. They they probably wouldn't have called <laughs> me anyway as a guy. Um, but uh, you've worked at Microsoft, Intuit, Venmo, Amazon. You um, developed and received funding for your own idea advisor and um, shipped in officially licensed Scrabble keyboard. Like you're all over the place, and like you seem to like be able to like keep it all together. First of all, just like, how do you do it? Do you have like a, a secret trick, like a magic trick that? <laughs> well, I'm glad that it seems that I'm keeping it all together because uh, that's what matters, public perception. <laughs> um, <laughs> I I kind of just, if I get really interested in something, I kind of just take it probably too far and, and just want to 
get it done. Like for example, with the Scrabble keyboard, I yeah. I had a dream that I made a keyboard, or it wasn't even it wasn't even that I made a keyboard. It was a weird dream where I was typing on Scrabble pieces, like from the game, and I woke <laughs> up and I was like, that could be real, and I, I sketched it up and then just cold called people for weeks until someone let me license it and, and make it real and and uh yeah a lot of a lot of the projects and stuff that i do are mostly just because it it's exciting to me and it's fun yeah and uh it's it's something that as much as i love coding sometimes you just need to do something else um uh, <laughs> and I, I do a lot of coding on side projects but at the same time like i'm in a band and and i like to you know build keyboards and i recently got a laser cutter so i've been just like cutting plastic all over the place so uh, <laughs> just little shards of plastic everywhere yeah they're everywhere uh <laughs> my husband loves me but um yeah it's it's i don't know how i do it i just kind of do what i can to have fun with things yeah you just try not to think about it too much and just yeah. do what you like mm -hmm. <laughs> that's awesome so where are you working right now where uh who who holds your heart on the on the day job codepen holds my heart so uh codepen.io most most front-end devs know codepen so i probably yeah. don't need to explain it but for those who don't know codepen it's it's a front-end playground it's a it's a place where you can experiment and and make art and and little projects with code and um uh you can make pens you can make fully fledged projects of lots of different files um and just experiment with code it's great that's awesome now codepen i think just recently y'all put out the the more like full-fledged like big application thing is there like a, a name for that or is it those are just projects so just projects uh, okay so normally you would make a pen on codepen and that's mm -hmm. just html css javascript and then whatever pre-processors and stuff that you want with that and then uh projects is yeah a fully fledged thing that where you can have a package.json you can have multiple files you can have images and assets and, and all sorts of things nice now i know that you are just a general javascript developer but you've also done a lot in react is codepen using react or um are you just kind of leveraging your javascript expertise there Oh, it's both. Uh, we're actually shifting a lot of the site to React. Um, CodePen cool. was originally built with Ruby on Rails. Whoa. Um, and very robust. It, it, it works, and it, a lot of the site still runs off of Ruby on Rails. But um, we're kind of going through changes right now. And, and the project section of the site was built completely in React and Redux. And uh, now we're kind of moving away from Redux even, and we're uh, doing Apollo and GraphQL. And so awesome. um, we recently did a really big UI change that to users, it probably wasn't that big a deal. We moved the header to become a sidebar. Um, <laughs> But with that change came a lot of React and GraphQL under the hood, and um, it's it's awesome. I haven't used GraphQL before uh, that project, and it it kind of changes the game. It it puts a yeah. lot of power into uh, the front end developers' hands, and um, being able to rewrite a lot of the site with that has been exciting. And there's a lot more to come. <laughs> what have been some of your most exciting uh, transitions? Like, I, I know that for me personally, when you when I have a new technology that I'm excited about, there are a handful of things that are just like, I'm so excited to like take this old gross thing and like turn it into the new thing. Yeah. Is there anything specific that you enjoy when taking your kind of like Redux code and transitioning it into GraphQL? 
Honestly, I just never really liked Redux, so I'm really <laughs> excited to move away from it. Like, I, I think I did one side project with it, and I needed to ask just so much help because the Redux just isn't that intuitive for me. Yeah. Like, like I understand the whole flow of of the actions and reducers and, and, and all that jazz, but I, I don't know. I just was not a fan of Redux in general, and I was just like, dang it, well, this is the technology everyone's moving towards. I guess I'll continue going with it but now that i don't have to it's awesome <laughs> uh, it, it is just great and i really like the apollo client with graphql um it's it's so nice to be able to kind of just have mutations that handle all of the state changes and as long yes. as like the store is there the store is there you can pull from that you can you can manipulate anything as you want you can pull just the data that you need um you don't have to worry about backend changes because that shouldn't affect the structure of everything. It's, it's great. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I've always felt like Redux is amazing if you're actually using all of the things that Redux was designed for, right? Like the hot module reloading and yeah. um, was it time, time slicing and like all the all the dev tools. But like if you're not, it's so cumbersome. And it, yeah. And it's so heavy, though. Again, that one project that I talked about where I where I used it on the side, like it was almost too much set up and changing of everything to make it worth it. I should have just done regular React and, and had a global state of some kind or something. But uh, yeah, it's it's very heavy. And for some projects, it works great. But I'm so glad I don't have to work with it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Totally. So is this a, a transition that's happening just kind of under the hood? Or is this something that, you know, one day there's going to be like a brand new front end to CodePen or whatever, if you can talk about that? Yeah, so... A lot of CodePen, we are changing, and it's a change that users don't notice. Like, it might be a little faster, but I doubt users mm -hmm. are, like, timing network requests or anything for the sites that they run. But uh, it's it's all happening. There's some features that I can't talk about that we're working on, um, and some of them aren't actually React. They're, like, JavaScript uh, features that I'm really excited about. But... Um, there are some cool changes coming to CodePen this year. I'm 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 really excited to to see how the site grows and yeah, I I can't talk about it, but I'm so excited. Keep an eye out. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, we'll keep an eye out for it. Um who do people follow if they want to keep um an eye on CodePen? What's the like Twitter or whatnot? At CodePen. <laughs> awesome. Easy. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 very easy. And then just the people who work at CodePen Several of us are pretty active on Twitter, so like myself and Chris Coyer and uh, and Marie Mosley, like we tweet a lot. And so if you follow <laughs> one of us or CodePen, you're bound to see some of the changes. Awesome. Well, so we talked about CodePen. I want to kind of go back in time to your origin as a programmer. How did you land on programming, and what has been kind of driving you? ever since. Yeah, so uh, the web started it. Um, and this is a story where people who know me have heard this story too many times. But uh, <laughs> it was in eighth grade, I was walking home from school, and I heard someone say, uh, check out my website. And I was just like, wait, you can have one of those? Because I thought only like companies could have websites. Yeah. I, I didn't even think that a person could. And so I asked questions, I went home and just started looking up how to make websites and, and how to get one going. And, and I started one, I was, it was stupid if you go in the Wayback Machine it's just like pictures of monkeys and stuff um, but 
it was awesome. And I started very slowly teaching myself like HTML and CSS. And then also Neopets was big at that time. And so I got to practice my CSS on that. Um, And then there were all of these forums. Forums really had their heyday back then. And and, uh, that's how I learned JavaScript by manipulating stuff in the forums. And uh, yeah, I I was truly just playing around with it. And I would make websites for like my biology class freshman year of high school and stuff. And um, eventually I took AP computer science in high school, decided, yes, this is what I want to do. And um, yeah, I majored in computer science at Iowa State University, graduated in 2014, and then the rest is history. (laughs) (laughs) Have you had any big moments um, or like defining moments along that path um, in your career? I mean, there have to be at least a couple. Oh, there's so many. I don't even know where to start. Uh, I would say that there... So my junior year summer, I interned in the Bay Area. And I told myself, okay, this is the time that I'm going to use for networking. And I am just going to try to meet as many people as possible because this is where, like, tech happens. I will probably never move to the Bay Area again after that summer. (laughs) But it was really fun. And uh, I, I went to a hackathon and a meetup constantly like every single weekend was a hackathon almost every day every other day was a meetup and and I was just meeting people as much as I could and one of the hackathons that I went to was on a plane <laughs> um and it was it was a hackathon that uh British Airways ran and uh it was it was just called ungrounded and it was a flight from San Francisco to London and you had to build something on this plane holy God. how long is that flight it was 11 hours. Oh my gosh, that's yeah. amazing. And also no Wi-Fi. And so it was it was crazy. And um, I got to meet so many cool people like uh, Craig Newmark, who invented Craigslist. Um, oh, wow. Megan Smith, who was uh, the CTO of the United States for Obama. Just all kinds of really cool people were on this plane. I was the only undergrad student. It was a miracle that I got, on, I got into this hackathon. Um, and uh, it was all about uh, bridging the gap in STEM. And so different sections of the plane were bridging the gap in different ways. And so okay. my section of the plane was women in STEM. There was another one for like rural areas in STEM. There was another one for like international uh, countries, uh, just things like that. And um, yeah, so for the for the women in STEM group, my team actually won. Amazing. And uh, it was very exciting. We landed in London and... We were all so sleep deprived between the jet oh, lag yeah. and just like hacking and stuff. And before getting on the plane, I like had met up with my team and we had, you know, brainstormed and, and of course. planned. And um, yeah, man, it was I probably didn't sleep for like four days straight just because we at once we landed, we went to just conference and event and stuff, showing off our project and, and meeting people in London. And it was a blast. It was an amazing experience, and my team ended up getting invited to the United Nations to uh, present our project, and uh, I still keep in touch with my team to this day. One of my closest mentors is one of my teammates on uh, on that team, Kelly Hoey. She's awesome. Um, that was that was probably one of the most defining moments of my career. That's so incredible. It, it, was, it was so exciting. <laughs> so first question, how was the plane as a group programming environment? That sounds terrible. It terrible i mean it was it was fun but like so not everybody could even really code um because it was it was kind of like part hackathon part like startup weekend style where you didn't necessarily need to have the working code but we did um and so we used like the overhead bins where luggage goes as like 
places for just giant post-its where everybody was writing out the business plans and things like that. And then there was a point where they called it just like the design hour, where it was like myself and two other people who knew Photoshop and people would go up to me and they would just say, okay, I need eight Superman logos, but I need these icons in the Superman (laughs) logo, go. And I would just like whip it up really fast and send it to the printer that we had like hardlined into our computers so they could print it up, cut it out and put it on their uh, posters and... It was it was crazy. I'd never like I'm not even that great of of a Photoshop user and, and I'm sure designers would like cringe at some of my processes there, but um it was a blast. I, I just kind of pumping out work, pumping out graphics, meeting cool people and, and uh just being able to be a part of something like that was awesome. They they sadly haven't run that hackathon again, but man, I'd do it in a heartbeat. It was great. That's amazing. So now the the thing that you built was advise her. Yeah. Uh-huh. Could you tell me a little bit about that? It was an initiative and online community for um, advising, advocating, and accelerating women in tech. Though that was our like hmm. spiel, and um, yeah, the the whole thing was to uh, just have a platform where women could connect and and um, help each other, uh, whether you're mentoring each other or uh, promoting each other or just just being a part of that and uh the platform isn't around anymore sadly but um it was it was such a fun thing to work on with such awesome people like one of my teammates was kimberly black who runs uh black girls code um one of my team members was uh oh sorry kimberly bryant and sue black there's so many names (laughs) two different people (laughs) yeah so kimberly bryant who runs black girls code sue black who uh she wrote a book called saving bletchley park which is where uh the Turing computer was built to uh, oh, save, wow. to save uh, or stop World War Two stuff. Um, it was a World War One. Sorry, I don't. One I don't of the one, one of the dub dubs. Yeah, I, I'm mixing up dates now. But anyway, we had such really cool people on our team, and um, I got to like sit next to executives at GitHub and and stuff, and and that whole experience was amazing. And and I was I was so proud and and uh just felt so blessed to be able to be a part of it and what was great too is when i did get to go to the united nations with my team um it was in new york city and it was my uh first time in new york city since i was a teenager and that was where i interviewed at venmo which is where i ended up working full-time right after graduation so it worked out it's so crazy yeah It feels like all of these things have kind of like connected very nicely for you. Yeah, it, everything really fell into place really well. Um, and it, it was really exciting. So you said something uh, a little bit ago. It's kind of hard to put a value on things, but how important is it to get out and spend that time at meetups, like really forcing yourself to meet people and and whatnot? It is it is vitally important. It is so important. And um, I will actually make a little pitch for my mentor, Kelly Hoey, who I mentioned. She actually wrote a book and published it recently called Building Your Dream Network. Oh, wow. And it's all about just like networking and, and how you can use it to help your career. And it's great. So got to do that little plug in there for Kelly. But uh, it's, it is so important. So many of the opportunities I've had have been because I've gone to meetups and very actively tried to meet people and maintain connections with people. Mm-hmm. And the the mentorship I've had, some of the just experiences I've been able to have have been a result of networking. And um, 
Like, for example, when I decided to move from New York City to Seattle, um, I was able to tap into my network and say, hey, please recommend companies that I should apply for because I'm moving out there and I know nobody and, and everyone is connected to someone. And uh, it, it just was a great way to kind of get myself across the country. And, and I know that my network is awesome and I could tap them again if I were to move to some other state or uh, some other city and um, I would do the same for them. And it's it's really all a matter of maintaining that relationship and paying it forward. And, and there's one mentor of mine, she, she told me the phrase once, lift as you climb. And always, as you're moving up, help the people who are just behind you move up as well. Um, and then they can do the same thing for people behind them. And, and your community just gets bigger and better. Um, and, and I really try to live by that. I love that. Lift as you climb. That's fantastic. And it's going to be stuck in my brain now for forever. Are you a naturally outgoing person or was this a little bit of a stretch for you to to put yourself in front of people? Oh, I am not outgoing. A lot of people <laughs> think I am because I do a lot of public speaking and and I can I turn on fake Cassidy very easily at networking events. I I have a public Cassidy facing person that uh that will gab with people for hours, but as soon as I am done gabbing with people for hours, I will be going home and just under a blanket watching Netflix for a very long time. I I am very I am very introverted, but um, I know how important it is to build these relationships. And um, I am married to a guy who is very, very extroverted. And so <laughs> I've been finding my balance there and uh, continuing to talk with people and then, you know, getting my energy doing my own thing. Yeah, that's awesome. What have you learned about people that you might think were otherwise inaccessible in trying to like enforcing yourself to meet them? So when you say when you say inaccessible, do you mean like people who I never thought I could meet type stuff or? Yeah, I, I, I think so. I, I guess one thing that's interesting to me is kind of how your perception changes once you've actually gotten over fear and stepped out and talked to someone and how your per- perception of that person can change, but then also just people in in general. Um, so I'm curious if you've had any type of perception change around like people that we think are like famous people or kind of uh, <laughs> that class of person um, as you have put yourself out there and um, made an intention to you know speak with them and be in front of them and try to add them to your network. They are all just people. <laughs> like that that is that is the main thing. Like there there are so many cool people that I've met where I try not to fawn because I know that they're <laughs> they're just a person. Um but sometimes it's hard not to. Like I at a meetup I got to meet uh, John Rezig once who made jQuery such a yeah. such a big thing and we just ended up nerding out about stuff. And it, it was it was very normal and the these people are just people and and that's that's kind of the thing that you always have to get in your mind like yes they have accomplished amazing things but they are just like you and me and like i i remember for example in, on that london trip that i did way back then uh, i got to sit on the bus next to craig newmark in between events um and he was the coolest guy we just talked about our favorite books and it turned out we had a lot of overlap and we just like yeah talked about books and then talked about downton abbey and he, he was just such a fun person to talk to and we didn't have to talk about tech at all and um that's that's how so many of the people are in this community everyone is a nerd let's be real we're in tech that's that's <laughs> how it is but 
they're they're just people. We have a a common thread of of being interested in tech, but beyond that, it's it's just getting to know another cool person in the industry. Yeah, that's truly powerful advice. I have found the same that the best conversations that you can have with people who feel like inaccessible to you are really not about the thing that they made or the the industry that you're in. Usually they're like about comic books or like some like weird line of fringe humor that you share or like a movie (laughs) that you both really like that nobody else understands. Um, And if you don't get out there and put yourself in front of those people, like you'll never realize those secondary connections that you have with these people that you really admire. Right. Exactly. And, and also one other thing that it will be advice, but also something that I've learned when you do want to meet one of these somewhat inaccessible people uh, who are just on top of their game and you email them to ask for coffee or something like that, you have to be very specific about what you want. Yeah, There are so many times where someone will say, hey, can I pick your brain? Let's meet tomorrow. And I'm like, <laughs> no, I, I don't know you. Um, and it's it's so much better if someone says, hey, I'm a computer science student. I'm not entirely sure where I want to intern next year, but these are the offers I have on the table. I'd love to ask you some questions. Could we meet in person? And then if you're not available, could we jump on the phone? And if that doesn't work, can I just email you my questions now? Give options, give them an out, and then just find out what happens. And by giving those options, they're more likely to say yes to, to the yes. most inconvenient thing just because they see how flexible you are and you're giving them a chance to be flexible too. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's so key. Um, because yeah, there, there are so many times where I know I've made that mistake where when I was younger, I, I would just like reach out to someone who was crazy legit and, and who it started like 10 companies and I'd be just like, Hey, can we get coffee sometime? I'd love to talk to you. <laughs> and then I just never hear back. And I was so hurt. And then late creep. Yeah. And then later I'm just like, well, that is because I was a fool. Um, so I, I have learned that and I hope anybody listening knows that too. Just, be specific, give them an out and give them options and you're more likely to get what you need. Yeah, that's incredible advice. I think demonstrating a respect for people's time is so critical in those when you reach out and doing exactly what you said is a way to say like, hey, I totally respect your time. And I like if I could just have like a, a two minutes of it to for you to reply to this email like that, that would make my day. Yeah, absolutely. So talking about kind of going back to network a little bit, how important was your network in building your Scrabble keyboard? Oh, man. Actually, it wasn't as powerful as you would think because oh. every single every single person in my network didn't have a connection to Hasbro. <laughs> so I really that that one was a lot more cold calling. And, and I'm in a lot of like general purpose Facebook groups where it's not necessarily my target demographic of like tech nerdy things. Yeah. But that those Facebook groups were probably the most valuable because I would just like say, does anybody know anyone who works at Hasbro? Because LinkedIn isn't working. And there was like, there was one girl who her friend used to work at Hasbro and she had a friend who still worked at Hasbro and that person knew an account executive. And like, that's how I found the person who eventually said yes to me. Like, oh my gosh, that one, that one was truly like, that's just how it happened. <laughs> it was <laughs> it was so random. But I will say, like, so getting the license, that that was just a miracle. But um actually getting to 
uh, sell it on a platform like Mastrop, that did come from networking, where uh, I go to these awesome events for mechanical keyboard enthusiasts. And so uh, I went to... <laughs> What's the name of that event again? Seattle Mechanical Keyboard Meetup. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Very specific. I always watch the the Twitter feed during those events. And I'm like, yeah, I need to go up there for one of those. Like, They're I need to. awesome. Like, <laughs> a lot of different cities have one. Like, I think Salt Lake City just announced one and San Francisco has them. But I'm very biased towards the Seattle one. It's huge. Like, I, I gave a talk at uh, the summer one this past year. And... I think overall we had something like three or four hundred attendees and like wow. people fly in for it. Like someone has flown in from Australia for the Seattle event and people would fly in from New York and stuff. And it's very exciting. It's it's a really cool event. Um, and I'm actually on the board of the nonprofit now that runs it, Sea uh, Keys. And uh, we teach workshops for uh, hand wiring. I actually have one of my hand wiring boards right over here. And uh, and we show kids and, and uh, just different groups of just minorities in tech uh how to hand wire and build electronics through keyboards wow and we run and we run this meetup and it's awesome so check out c keys everyone but uh, <laughs> uh this meetup is great and i had met the representatives from Mastrop at this event and so uh I talked with them and I showed them a picture of my Scrabble keyboard drawing and they were just like, okay, this is cool. If you can get the license, we will run it. Just here's my card. We'll see what happens. And uh, yeah, I got the license. I emailed them and, and said, I don't know if you remember me. Here's all of the context and stuff. And uh, I have the license. Let's do this. And that's how it happened. <laughs> that's amazing. Now, did you know how many people would be ecstatic about this keyboard or has it been surprising to you? I had hopes. I wasn't sure um, because I knew that I would want it. I knew that members of my family would want it because they don't understand keyboards, but they understand Scrabble. But uh, yeah, it was it was so exciting to see the response because it wasn't just keyboard enthusiasts that liked the idea. It was Scrabble enthusiasts. Yeah. And uh, so I had planned on joining a bunch of Scrabble groups, like the North American Association for Scrabble Players and stuff. Like there, there's tons of groups for just professional Scrabble players. And I was like, the, these are people that I can tap into. And then it turned out they were sharing the post already without my even having to. And so it was really exciting to see it do such far-reaching stuff. And it, it got featured in Gizmodo and, and uh, I think The Verge even and on CNET, just all of these different articles that I never would have expected. And, and yeah, it was it was a very fun project that came from a dream and followed my dreams and it happened. Literal dreams. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously these projects take a lot of time and you can't just stop working to do a project like this. Um, how do you organize your time when you have a dream to build a Scrabble keyboard and you have all of these hurdles that you have to come like overcome like licensing and production and all that. That is a great question. I I keep a strict calendar. <laughs> so if if I need to make some time for something, I I I have to make time for it. And um mm -hmm. believe me there's there's plenty of projects that you will never hear about where I just didn't make time for it and they just didn't work out. And and different pursuits, there are so many that just never happened. And I'm sad about some of them. And then the rest of them, I was just like, yeah, that was never going to happen. But uh, 
to find the time, you just have to make the time for it, mm. I think. For for almost every project that has actually come to fruition, it's because I've actually set aside time and said, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to set aside specific time to do this. I'm not going to watch Netflix. I'm not going to play Fortnite. I'm not going to go to some concert or whatever. I'm, I'm going to focus on this. And uh, it, it does involve saying no to some things sometimes when you have deadlines mm. and stuff to follow that are often self-set deadlines but uh <laughs> yeah. that's i think that's what's key to making these projects happen like everybody has the time uh unless you're a parent i guess because that's a lot of time in itself but uh, everyone has the time at some point you just have to figure out how you want to prioritize your time mm-hmm. you know that's interesting that you you mentioned that and then also uh i am a parent and it and i man you're right like you just lose like a ton of that extra time yeah but i think i've learned that as you have you just have to have grace for yourself you're like well i have a shorter sliver of time it doesn't mean that i can't do the things that i want to do they're just gonna have to take a little bit longer right exactly and at every phase i mean you have the same constraints right like if you didn't have a job it'd be super easy to like do a scrabble keyboard in a shorter period of time but right you have like this little sliver of time instead of like a whole chunk of time Exactly. And and that's that's kind of how I'm approaching everything. And I know, like, I will want to have kids in some future time. And I know that, okay, now I have more time than I probably will <laughs> at that point in 18 years onwards. I got to try to make use of my time now. And uh, the, the yeah, that's that's kind of just how I approach it. Like, make use of the time that I have. And, and if it's going to take a lot, just schedule it and, and make it happen. That's interesting. So another uh, big project that you've done is you've built a React and JavaScript course on Udemy. Um, do you have an estimate about how long that took you to develop? Because there's a lot of content there. Yeah. Oh, man. That was that was a long project. That was a long project that I did not time well because I released it the week of my wedding. So, oh, gosh. Yeah. That was... I, I really... I will never do that again. Luckily, <laughs> luckily, I don't have to worry about getting married again. Assuming you know I don't get hit by a bus. But anyway, uh, I uh, I would not do that again. That was that was a crazy bad timing project, but it was fun. And so that one, I started fully working on it in March, and then released it in mid November. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So so it was it was a long ordeal, and um. I was working directly with Udemy where uh, I had talked with them uh, about it um, and they helped produce some of the videos like the, of the talking heads. Um, and so that involves like coming up with good copy for them to be able to put in ads on YouTube and uh, for them to make intros and stuff. And so that added even more time than if I had just done it myself. Sure. Um, and so it involved like outlining it, making the exercise, actually coding the solutions for the exercises myself, um, and uh, just making sure all of the information was accurate. And then once the outline was done, actually writing a script, because as much yeah. as I like just working off of an outline, I know I can talk for days if I don't <laughs> have set words to say. But anyway, it it was a long project, and it it took that full time from March to November to, to get it released. And it was a really big push at the end to get it released before the wedding. Cause I was like, I am not working on it after my <laughs> wedding. I just want it done. And, uh, 
yeah, it was it was an ordeal. I made my mom so mad because I was working so much on that and not like on wedding planning. The wedding, yeah. <laughs> uh, but hey, got it done. Priorities, right? <laughs> I cannot imagine trying to take on a project like that while planning a wedding. It was a terrible decision. <laughs> I don't recommend anyone do that ever. Um, but. You know, I've learned my lesson. <laughs> How has the uh, the course been otherwise? Um, would you recommend people do a course? Otherwise, it's been great. Um, I told myself after a certain goal amount of revenue that it would be worth it. There was a very long time where I was just like, this was not worth it. This was not worth it. And now I'm just like, okay, yeah, that was that was worth it, I guess. So, uh, yeah, I think, I think if you are willing to put together a solid course, there's definitely a market for it. Because... There's a lot of courses on uh, many different platforms, not just Udemy, but several where they have really flashy intro videos. The pitch of the yeah. video sounds great. Then as soon as you get into the course, turns out that person was just like the hype man and they paid <laughs> someone else to do the course for them that unfortunately doesn't speak English very well, that yeah. doesn't deliver the content in a very coherent manner. Yeah. And uh, it's a shame. And yet these people make so much money because yeah. people buy their courses for the hype and then don't find out until it's too late to get a refund that uh, that they don't actually teach the course. So if you're willing to actually teach a course and present the content well, you are golden. <laughs> should do it. Should do it. Yeah, that's all I got to say about that. <laughs> so you've done a lot of things. And I'm just curious, like at this point in your life... Um, do you feel like a huge success or has it kind of like not changed your perception at all that you've worked at all these cool companies, like you have a successful online course, you've built and sold a mechanical keyboard, like had an idea and made a company out of it. Like, does that just feel like life or do you feel like things are happening? Things are pretty good. Uh, it, things are pretty good. Like I, <laughs> I, I don't ever want to get a big head about it. Like it's, it's something that, these these things that I do are something that I work for to I yeah I really want to be able to just like retire early from passive income and stuff so that way I can just work on all kinds of projects that won't necessarily make money um, and that that's kind of been my approach to several things like not that everything's about money but sometimes if you want to be able to for example I want to someday take up carpentry I think it would be sick. But I know that that takes a lot of time. That would take me actually leaving a full-time job to really get into it. So I should be able to have income so that way I can sustain myself and try that someday. Um, and and just try projects. Like I, I would love to be able to make a game, but I know how much time game development takes. Yeah. And that's something where I want to be able to get to a point where I can sustain myself on different projects that I've worked on so that way I can ultimately work on what I want to. So I don't want to retire early to relax. I want to retire early to work on more things. <laughs> You've got projects and things to make. Yeah, i got <laughs> things to do. Um, so that's, that's kind of how I think about it. Like, I don't think about it like, man, I am a successful person. This is great. I am on fire. I more think about it like, okay, this is another thing that I can just say this sustains at least part of some of the things that I want to do. Yeah. My Udemy class paid for my new euphonium that I get to play in the orchestra I'm in. I'm happy with it. <laughs> that's 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 what matters. And so uh 
I, I do these things so that way I can do things that I wouldn't normally have the time, money, or energy to do otherwise. That's a really interesting distinction that I don't think a lot of people make in their mind. The idea of kind of building up a building up a network, building up um thing like building up passive income, not just so you can retire and like sit on a beach and drink cocktails all day, but so that you can have the freedom to fill your time with things that you enjoy and like actually executing on those ideas that you have, those dreams that you have. And you're like, I have to make this thing right now. Like, how do we do it? Right. Yeah, exactly. And and what I love about working at CodePen is it's a fully remote company. And so I'm, I work in my home office. I work from the library sometimes. And uh, just being able to have that freedom of location is something that I I'm so excited about. And like uh, my husband and I have already said, like, maybe we'll work from home in Barcelona sometime and, and yeah. just kind of be able to do that even more. And, and, and yeah, I think I, I am very lucky to be able to be in a position where I can work on those kinds of projects and, and at this kind of company where I have the freedom to travel, to work on things that I want to buy stuff for more projects that I want to build. <laughs> um, and uh, it's it's all very exciting. I'm, I'm very happy where I am. And uh, if it all blows up tomorrow, at least it was a good time now. Awesome. Um, you had in your idea for Advise Her was this idea of developing um, women in STEM learning. And I'm curious in today, like where we're at today, do you have advice for how to support and develop women in engineering and companies? Well, I kind of said it already, lift as you climb. I think mm. that that is such a key thing is is to seek mentorship, but also give mentorship to two different people in their careers. And even if you're an entry level developer who's like fresh out of school or fresh out of a boot camp or something, you can still help people who are learning how to code. Yeah. And uh there's probably someone who's mid-level who's very willing to help you and someone who's senior level who's willing to help them and that sort of thing. And so I, I do think having that network and mentorship is key. And not even, uh, I think networking is important, but it is because it builds a community. And I think ultimately community in an industry is key and, and not just in tech, but in general, like you are more likely to stay in an industry and do well in an industry if you have a community around you supporting you. Yeah. And uh, giving and getting mentorship and building that network and just trying to be friendly with as many people as you can in that industry with similar interests um, is is great. And I know that I wouldn't be where I am today and I wouldn't be um, as happy as I am in the industry if it weren't for the community that I have and, and the mentorship that I've received. And I know so many other people where if they didn't have the community, they wouldn't be in tech anymore in general. Yeah. And um, I, I think that that is absolutely key. And then um, in a lot of companies, it can be frustrating if there's just unconscious biases and, and things that, uh, that come your way as a woman. And uh, yeah, in those instances, all I can really say is, is you're not alone and, and find the people who can be your support. Um, and if anything, leave, like there, there's so many tech companies out there who are hiring like crazy and, um, not a lot of people give this advice, but as someone who has had five jobs in almost five years, I, I've hopped <laughs> around so much and it's because it's either I was moving or because 
something better came along or or uh yeah. or something didn't feel right so i decided to switch and um in this industry we are very lucky to be able to have that ability where if you can show your skills and and keep up your skills you can switch companies relatively easily and if you are in an environment that is toxic in any way is not supporting you in some way just start looking for another job because people in tech bounce around all the time it's not going to look bad if you were at a place for a year or two on a resume and then switched um i've been at places for less than a year and switched and and i've turned out just fine and, and i think i think you would too awesome well cassidy thank you so much i really appreciate all of your time that advice is incredible and um, I, I really appreciate you telling us about like kind of how you organize your time, how you build your network, how you're building passive income and just enjoying your life and continuing to make things that you want to see in the world. So thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for having me. This is fun. Thanks for listening to this episode of React Podcast. Real quick, I have a favor to ask of you. If you have a moment, please consider leaving a review on iTunes or whatever your podcatcher of choice is. Now, let me tell you why that helps you out. When you rate the show and you give us a positive review, that tells iTunes that you really like what you're hearing from us. And they in turn, take that and put it in front of more people. Now, the more people that the show's in front of, the more sense it makes for amazing, high quality, high value guests to come onto the show and speak with you. So if you like what you're hearing and you want to hear from more awesome, amazing React developers, one way to help make sure that it's worth their time is to get this show in front of as many people as possible. And you can help us do that simply by putting a nice review in iTunes. Now, obviously, you are not obligated to do this. And I thank you for listening to that little message. This episode of React Podcast was edited by Mikhail Delport and produced by Mikhail Delport and Sarah Jackson. Spec FM is a network for developer and designer podcasts designed to help you level up. If you like this show, you might like other shows on the network. Visit spec.fm for more. A big thanks to our sponsor this week, Linode, who made this episode possible. To get a $20 credit, visit linode.com slash react and use the promo code react2019. If you'd like to reach out and chat with us, you can find us on a ton of different mediums on Twitter at React Podcast, and I'm at Chantastic, and on spectrum.chat slash specfm slash React Podcast. Thank you, you fine, fine listeners for listening to this show. We'll be in your ears again next week. Mm-hmm.